The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Howard Blake is a composer, conductor and pianist whose career has spanned more than 50 years. He's probably best known for providing the soundtrack to Channel 4's 1982 film The Snowman, but he's done many other things as well, including Flash Gordon, The Duelists and the music for Princess Diana's 30th birthday. And he's on the line here just now. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm okay, thank you. Great. So... <laughs> How did you first get into music and composing originally then? I think I was born playing the piano. (laughs) I I remember actually being told I mustn't touch the piano. And we had this great old old upright piano in the the dining room. And and then I climbed up onto a stool and I I started playing it. And they said, you can't play that. I I actually found what the notes are. I wrote the names of the notes onto the the notes in indelible pencil (laughs) and taught myself to read. And I got into terrible trouble for doing that because they couldn't get them off. <laughs> That's how I started. Um, yeah. It's a joke, really. But the, I, I sort of started having lessons when I when I was about six, and yeah. I, I, I went through like everybody did exams and things. And I also sang in the church choir. And I sang the solos in the church, and then when I was about eleven, I also learned organ and and yeah. actually became i used to play in in a parish church in brighton where i come from um when when the real august organist was on holiday uh and then how, from there i i then got a very good teacher called christine pembridge who mm. really took me under her wing and and said you know you've been disgracefully taught i've i'm going to really teach you and she had had a, a great a great te- one of the great teachers Teachers, somebody who had learnt from none other than Clara Schumann. Wow. So my playing actually descends from Clara Schumann, like, <laughs> uh, like uh, two hundred years ago. So I, I was well taught, and then when, when that that got me, I she entered me for a scholarship. It's the first thing I entered, which was that a Hastings Festival scholarship for to, for music. And I went in for it, and uh, there was a, a, a Bach Prize, a Beethoven Prize, and a Chopin Prize, and mm. and a and a um, scholarship prize. There were four prizes, mm. and I won all four. <laughs> <laughs> so that decided, uh, the, my school was very annoyed with me because I said I'm going to I'm going to take up this scholarship at the Royal Academy, and they said, you know, we've got you down for doing a scholarship to, to Oxford for history. <laughs> what, what about that? I said, oh, I'd much rather do music. So <laughs> that's how I got into it. Mm. And do you remember what the first piece of music you ever wrote was? Ah, uh, actually, the first piece that I remember writing uh, was a march in D. Yeah. And I, I've still got that in my catalogue. Uh, I think that's um, Opus 1A, I think it is. But yeah. that, that I wrote. I was about ten, mm-hmm. uh, and I I had I sort of used to write little 
play things on the piano and write little things on people's birthday cards and Christmas cards for the family, little, little you know, songs. But the first piece was a march, which was a proper march with a beginning and a middle and an end. And, and it was written out in ink. And I was, I was about 10. And um, I took it into my piano teacher and I said, I've written this. And he said, you must not lie. You couldn't possibly have written this. So wow. I said, well, I did write it. All right, he said, I'm going to take it off you, he said. And I'm right, now you play it and we'll see if you can play it. So yeah. I played it back from memory. My God, he said, you did write it. <laughs> He said, well, I've, I've never met that boy of 10. Um, so we must put you on to harmony and counterpoint even and fugue. Uh, we, we must start right away. That was a wonderful thing for me. I mean, which wouldn't have happened. I mean, I could have just been ignored. But he, he, he set about to teach me the theory of music. And I love doing it. And um, so so by the time I was sort of 14, 15, I'd, I'd really learned all, all matters of harmony and I was could write, could write two-part, yeah. three-part counterpoint. Yeah. So that was very lucky. His name was, he was a little old guy called Bonnie Churcher and he, he wore yeah. a... He wore a butterfly collar and 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 and, a, and an old-fashioned bow tie to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name, Bonnie Churcher. Bonnie Churcher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he so he really got me off to a, a great start. There. Yeah. Then when I, I was in Ditchling Road Primary School in Brighton, yeah. uh, and and then I won, but I won the eleven plus to the grammar school, which which was a very good school that had been a public school until until the Labour government came along in 1945 and it became a grammar school. So I went and it was a super school. And when I went there, they, they, they did Gilbert and Sullivan operas. One, they did one every year. And in this year, I went to the school. It was uh, 1954, I think. Um, they were doing the, the Gilbert and Sullivan opera Ruddy Gore, which in and it had a part for um, a, a girl, that Rose Maybud was was the soprano heroine, yeah. and in the, my first week at grammar school, the the music master there, Mr. Albert Chapman, he he gave us everybody in the class were asked to sing a scale, and they they. When I got up, they were singing up, na 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 na. When I got up, because I'd been having voice lifts, I, I sang I sang a scale that ascended for three octaves. <laughs> it went from it went from. When I could go from middle C to a G in alt, I could sort of go. I was all going back down to G. Wow. Basso. So I had this extraordinary voice, three octave voice, and and yeah. this was the first, almost the first day I was at grammar school, and they said, "Well, we we cast the opera, but would you like would you like to sing in the opera?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to sing in the opera." So actually, they gave me the part of Rose Maybud, the soprano part in the opera. Wow. That day. And there was a, a boy I remember called Hilton who was going to do it and I was much better than him and they, they said we're sorry we, we're replacing you with this boy, this little boy he's very small but he's got this amazing voice and the parents were, were so furious they took the boy out of out of the grammar school and put him in another school <laughs> of course travel right from the start yeah so one of the early professional things that you did was making different musical stuff on the TV show The Avengers wasn't it Yes, I mean this. This was really. Um, I got to the stage of uh, by this by this by 1967. I had got to the stage. I, I'd written quite a lot of music, and I'd written music for films and music mm. for uh, classical things, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah. But uh, in 1967, I, I was taken on by an agent called Liz Keys, who, who was really the top agent for, uh, for for film composers. She she represented Malcolm Arnold and yeah. uh, some of some of the Americans like uh, Copeland and I mean William Walton. A very really 
So that was an e- extraordinary step for me to, to to have to have an agent like that. And the first thing she said I, when I went into and she said, "Would would you like to meet Bernard Herrmann, mm. who was also on her books?" Bernard Herrmann, of course, is now regarded as the greatest film composer of all time, having yeah. written Citizen Kane. To, he started with and having worked with Hitchcock. And he wrote Psycho, of course, and many, many. So anyway, so my first thing with with, with uh, Liz Keys was we went along and I met Bernard Herman. He, he said, um, um, Laurie Johnson, my friend Laurie Johnson, actually, he writes the music for the Avengers. I mean, it's, it's which was a fully scored uh, television series. I mean, they had music throughout and yeah. it had, that was recorded like every every two or three weeks you'd have, you, you were doing a new film uh, so I was asked and Bernard Hermes he said Laurie Laurie Johnson he, he's asked me if I would take over writing the Avengers series he said I, he said I, I wouldn't know how to do that he said it's sort of jazz jazz music and I don't know anything about jazz at all mm. so he said do you think you could do it and I said um, oh yeah I said I, I would love to I'm I mean, what? Right? You, you must. You can't be serious. <laughs> anyway, I went to. I, went, I actually. What happened was, I, I went and started uh, the next session of the of the Avengers. I played piano on the no, not piano. Hammond organ, Hammond organ, vibraphone, Celeste, marimba, and various things like that. I, I played keyboards, and I got to know how Laurie wrote. And he said, and then afterwards he said, "Would you like to take over the whole show?" So that was an. And and the whole show, one had to, I had to write something like half an hour of, of fully scored music for big band um, a week, which was wow. pretty pretty. <laughs> I, I was pretty scared of the uh, and and I, I the, also that was a, a big learning curve in my life actually because I hadn't ever been under that sort of pressure in writing music, and and I sat there and I thought I, I don't know and. I, I, I think I, I don't sort of know what I'm doing. And I tried various, played this and that, and it didn't sound original. And I thought, I don't, I don't know what. And I thought, actually, I'm right. And then, and then my the copyist from from uh, Elstree said, "Have you got Have you got your first score ready for me?" Yes, I started. <laughs> so I thought, oh, "This is terrible." I thought, "I'm, I'm just going to have to write the first thing that comes into my head." <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I was writing um, my very first Avengers. It was called "My Wildest Dream," yeah. and I've got it here in my. <laughs> uh, Yes, and I wrote that in '96. That was early 1968. My wallet. So I thought, I what I've got, I've got to do. I just got to write straight away. And however bad I think it is, I've got to do it and, and give it to the copyist. And if I, if I, what I've written, it's complete junk. Okay, they'll throw it out and they'll say, well, you had a try. And but they, but I won't have let them down. And they'll pay me for doing it. And I, I can, I can leave. I can leave quietly. Having failed, <laughs> so I and I, I've never forget, forgotten that work. I just wrote and wrote and wrote, and I thought, I, and the first thing you come in, I, I, I know I put it, and and it it was all more or less jazzy. Uh, I mean that sort of stuff, yeah. but it needed quite a lot of writing, uh, and um, and I remember going up to Earl Street, and and up to that point, I'd just been pl- playing as one of, of, of as a very young looking keyboard player, but with all these very famous uh, tenor players and trumpet players and trumpet, Don Lusher on trombone and Kenny uh, yeah. Baker on trumpet, and and um, and Laurie got up and he said, "Howard, you our, our young our young pianist, our young pianist is taking over from me as as." Uh, <laughs> Writer, composer, and conductor of the Avengers, as of now, wow. and they all went blimey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, I started, and I and I recorded for the whole morning, and at the end, the whole band stood up and clapped, and that's that's something actually that only ever happened once in my my career. That oh. 
it isn't done to clap conductors and composers. It's just not <laughs> done. But on this occasion, they, they were so gobsmacked by it that they, they did. And so that, that was my sort of baptism by far into the world. Very, you know, high-level, high really, professional world, world of music writing, because that, yeah. that series went out in 93 countries. The wow. It was a very big show. Yeah. How's that for an answer? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. That's up there. <laughs> and you've scored many films over the years, of course, including Ridley Scott's The Duelists. So how did that one come about? Yeah, um... I, I met Ridley Scott, uh, curiously enough. Uh, he rang me and said, I've, I've, I've made a, a commercial, a, a cinema commercial. Um, it, it was for, I'm trying to think what it was for. Um, it was for Life Boy Soap or something of that sort. I think it was Life Boy Soap. Well, it was a soap, and he said, and he said, um, I've I've shot it in the the wilds of Scotland in the snow, and it's it's like Russian, and there's it, there's there's a Russian uh, guy on a big horse, and and it's set it's set in this sort of period of early sort of like eighteen eighteen hundreds uh, yeah. to ad- advertise his soap, and he said, and I would you like to do? so I went in, and I he said, could you could you write a Something like you know, like Borodine does, like that sounds like Ru- Russian classical music, Rimsky Korsakov, that sort. Of, yeah, I said I, I could do something like that. So uh, I wrote, I wrote this, uh, I wrote this uh, commercial, which I uh, was thirty second commercial, and. Um, I did. It, it wasn't too onerous a thing, a thing to do, but Ridley liked it a lot. And Ridley was trying to—you cannot believe this—he he was he had a firm making commercials, and this was considered such a ghastly thing to do that nobody would ever give him a film to to <laughs> to, to, write, to direct. It's the same yeah. work for his brother Tony, and they had they had this firm in in Soho, Lexington Street, and. Uh, they were both making commercials fit to bust. I mean, they were. The, I think Ridley has made something like three thousand commercials before he wow. got. Well, before he was given a film, which is sort of extraordinary, I think. Yeah. And anyway, this that would have been about uh, 1970. I did that uh, uh, Life Boy soap commercial and I didn't hear from I might have done a couple of other little uh, commercials for him and then in 1975 one day he 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 rang me up and he said I've I've got myself a producer called and his name's David Putnam who is of course now Lord Putnam yeah um David Putnam and he said um, wh- where are you? She said, she, he said, I said, I'm living down in the in the in the country in Sussex, and I'm writing chamber music. And I said, I've given up films and I've given up commercials. I'm just r- writing proper serious music. And he said, Well, we I've just got my first film. <laughs> and he said, Oh, well, I said, Well, bully for you, good. <laughs> and he said, And David's going to produce it, and we both want you to write the music for it. Well, I said, I've, as I've just explained, I don't. I don't do that anymore. He said, well, what's the matter with you? I said, I'm busy writing writing this piano quartet. <laughs> so he said, we're coming down to see you. Really? I said, so... <laughs> He said, "How do we get there?" I said, "You get you get a train from Victoria to Hayward Heath. Could you meet? Have you got a car?" I said, "Yeah, I've got a car. I'll meet you at the station." So I met I met these two who who were not 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 famous as they are now. Ridley Scott and David Putnam at, at, at Hayward, and we came back to. My, I had this water mill, and and they said, they spoke. They, David said, "Does it work?" I said, "Yes." Can we work it? So I said, "Yes." So I actually we spent the day mucking about the week. I, I said, "You have to open the the flume sluice." What's that? I said, "Come here, pull on that big." So with the three of us, we 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 spent a, gr- a great day actually at the mill and as as the day went on they were talking and talking about this dualist thing and it got to six o'clock and uh, they and uh, really said he said please come back to london with us and see the film will you and we'll take you out to dinner afterwards 
I said, okay, you'll won. <laughs> you won. I'll come back with you. So we got on we, we got on the train back to Victoria and I went into their studio in uh, Lexington Street and I saw the first the first frame of, of the duelist, which is an extraordinary front. There there are these two duelists and they're standing absolutely motionless against this actually exquisite uh, country background, a field with beautiful trees in the distance, and it's absolutely silent. And uh, I said, that's the the best frame I've ever seen. (laughs) And said, what would you write for that scene? I said, said, nothing. It it was absolutely wonderful silence. Well, this is not not what we want to hear. I said, but... We start the we start the music. What then happens is they suddenly they suddenly this he, Harvey Keitel has the sword and he actually strikes his opponent and, and raises blood and cuts him. I said that is where the music starts and and it it, it will be as frightening as hell <laughs> after that silence. So I so that was I said so. So then I remember Ridley said, well, what, what would you score it for? I said, well, I think let's, we, we watched the whole film. And I said, I said, I think, I think it wants, it wants an orchestra. And, and at that time, everybody was actually doing electronic music and pipes music. And, and they weren't, I mean, the age of the orchestral scores was slightly over at that time or hadn't. Yeah. And there wasn't exactly a start. Anyway, I said, I, I, so Ridley said, I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd like it sort of electronic. And so, so I remember David Putnam said, listen, Ridley, Howard knows what he's doing. <laughs> and you go, <laughs> you let, Howard, let Howard do what he thinks is right for this film, will you? So Ridley said, okay, you got it. And I then, okay, so I was able to write, really, I had a free hand with The Duelist, and I loved writing it, and it was absolutely marvelous. I thought it was a brilliant film, I still do. And I I actually still think it's Ridley's best film. But it it was quite one, I I wrote it in bits, because they'd done like, there was a third of the film when I when I started on it, and they hadn't finished the second part. And then by the time I'd finished the finished the music first, then I'd got the second part, and and then I found, so I wrote it in three sections, which followed on, and then I was straight into the studio with a, with a, with a wonderful orchestra, and um, it it really went in the, the virtually un, uncut, and un, un, it went it went straight off from straight off my uh, manuscript on, on into the into the studio recorded straight onto the screen as it was and it's never been changed since so that was <clears throat> actually one of one of the really great points of my life writing that school yeah definitely and you also did the music for flash garden as well which i guess naturally because it uses a lot of queen's music a lot of your score didn't actually end up in the final cut right well the queen didn't want me to write they didn't <laughs> want me to write the music <laughs> that's yeah. The the story the story of that is I was hoping you wouldn't mention Flash Gordon. <laughs> um, I was at home um, at, at this time. I was living in Mortlake um, on, on on the Thames and uh, house there, and um, it was a nice quiet afternoon. I got this call from uh, John Richards, who was the engineer at. Uh, the uh, the CBS uh, studio CTS CTS studios out, out in Wembley, and John said um, he said we we we're in I'm I'm in, I'm in the studio with with quite a number of people and we've got a, a real terrible problem, and everybody I've I've got here um I think Harvey, I think Harvey can't tell I think he was a um I've got I've got people from. Uh, Pine well, from 20th Century Fox, and I've got I've got the whole of the group Queen here, and uh, I'm trying to think who else. Um, and oh, I'll t- it'll come back to me in a moment. <laughs> um, and what we we, we the Queen were going to do, we we're going to do the music of it, but they 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 had they had a boy a, a cellist who they always used to do their arrangements, and he was going to. To write a score, and so we've we've got the Arp Royal from here, but he 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 only managed to write a minute and a half of score, 
Mm. Well, I said, how on earth could that possibly have happened? He said, well, will you come over? So I, I went over there, and they're all standing there, and they said, you've got, you've got to help us. You've got to, I said, so what will you do? Well, I said, I mean, I can, and who, you, perhaps you can tell me, who was it? Who was the big shot, the money man? <laughs> oh, was it Harvey Goldsmith? No, it wasn't Harvey Goldsmith. <laughs> it's absurd, I can't remember. Uh, the Italian. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, carry on, I shall remember in a second. <laughs> I can't remember. Either. Um, yes, anyway, this big truck, big shot. It wasn't Orson Welles, but somebody, somebody is, is right. equally famous. We'll tell you in a minute. Anyway, he said, could you, could you write a new score by Monday? I said, I said, if you've got Beethoven and Bach and Chopin and Tchaikovsky here, they still couldn't, all working on it, you couldn't finish it by Monday. <laughs> so, um, but I said, I, I can. And he said, well, how long it take it? Well, I said, you, you'll have to fire the orchestra because they've got nothing to play. Oh, that's, mm. that's terrible. And I said, well, it won't be, you know, you, you'll, and I'll, I'll need at least at least four weeks, I would say, because we've got to, have you, have you timed it? Have, you got time, have we timed it? Nobody knew. <laughs> uh, I said, well, if you haven't timed it, that'll add another week. It'll take at least a week to, to, to take all the time. So anyway, I, I got started on it and I wrote it. And we, um, what happened, um, what I, I did, I did write, Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I just score virtually for the complete film, but of course they had they had they had scored their their very big hit song Flash. Ah, uh, that was yeah. really that that was written, and it's a very very good song as we all know. They put all of their energy into that, but they had they had not, and they thought that somehow they could adapt that to fill all the rest of the. It's a very big film; it's about three hour film. They thought yeah. it could be somehow extended, but it, I said it can't be. You've got to write fresh music for, and it's got, got to agree with all the scenes. So I I set to work on it, and eventually. 
I got the timings and eventually got but of course it, it made made the manager of of the of of the of the uh, group. What's the name of the group? Oh, Queen. Queen. Oh, Dino Dolorento. So I finally got the, the producer was Dino Dolorentius, who's ah. very big uh, in Hollywood, of course, and and a great great producer of many many great films. So. I was working direct, directly for, for Dino, um, but of course the, the 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 boys, the Queen, they they wanted and the manager, they wanted to try and actually get some, do some of that scoring, not with me, but use it or or get more a a credit round. So that it it got all very difficult. But I did record the entire score, and Dino was absolutely thrilled with it, and so was everybody else. But then yeah. after that, Queen like actually, I, I I took I took one or two phrases from. from um, now, who who is the lead? Freddie No, not Freddie Mercury. <laughs> the lead guitarist, Brian May. Brian May. Brian May. <laughs> Brian May was he 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 had. He he had a theme which went ah and he said, "Could you use that?" And I said, "If you like, yeah, I could use that." <laughs> and if you if you listen to this, if you listen to it, you will hear coming in all sorts of guises. But I I I, wrap, I would wrap it up with about sixty violins, three trombones, and a harp. <laughs> so you you want it probably, but uh, that that is every time that comes, that is the uh, copyright of Brian May, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 the frilly bits around the sides of copyright of Howard Blake, but it's it's always been disputed, but it was quite fun, and I, I wrote a lot of music, and I think I think it some it somehow works, and it's often been cited as, as perhaps the first sort of um, crossover between a rock score and and a classical score yeah. and somehow enmeshing the two into one and I, I think that's quite a quite a good assessment of it yeah that's certainly interesting so <laughs> on to what's probably your most famous work now the snowman am I right in saying that it was actually your idea to make it a silent film with just music and no dialogue yeah that's absolutely true yeah. uh, uh, people try to think that think I'm making this up, but uh, <laughs> I can t- tell you how 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 the snowman happened was this: um, I'd actually written that tune in 1970 when I, I when I sort of got out of the rat race and I went down to Cornwall to yeah. to recover and and have it and and I I, I was at that I I wanted to write a symphony. Yeah. And I wanted to stop doing commercials and write a symphony. And I thought I wanted a, a theme for the symphony, start the symphony, that expressed perfect innocence yeah. and peace. And I wrote Walking, the, the, the music of Walking, uh, I wrote it down on the back of an envelope. And I came back to London eventually. And I got back in, but I, I, I limited the mad writing stuff all day and all night and I, I, I got into a more reason, reasonable lifestyle <laughs> and uh, then as, as as I one day I was I, I tried I tried to find a place for this tune and I tried to write a symphony but it didn't sort of happen mm. and it didn't sort of fit in yeah. but it, I knew it was I knew it was a very special song and I tried one or two things which didn't really work and then one day, um, I'd, I'd been over in Canada. I, I, I'd been over in Canada to, to write a write a film called uh, uh, the The Rainbow Boys. Yes, with Donald mm. Pleasance, and I met a I'd met a the director Jerry Potterton, who was he was actually more of an animation uh, director than than a live action director, and yeah. which interested me. And I I, I, I was I'd also been working with a chap called Dick, Dick Williams, Richard Williams, an animator, and I'd done the Pink Panther credits uh, for Henry Mancini with him. I actually wrote that credit sequence. And so I, I was into, I knew about 
through, through Mancini and, and, and through Jerry, I knew about cartoons. That's animation, cartoons. And um, Jerry came over. I, I hadn't seen Jerry since that. That was way back, sort of 1975, something. And Jer Jerry came over to London in 1980. 1981, and he rang me. He said, um, "I'm here to do." He said, "I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. And I've got to pick some, uh, pick a check up from a cartoon company in in um, Soho yeah. uh, called uh, TVC Television Cartoons. Yes, hmm. and um, he said, could you meet me there?' And we we could go out to lunch. I said, "Yeah, sure." So I went up there and I walked into TVC, and and this they're the owner. TVC was a chap called uh, John uh, John Coates John Coates. Oh yeah, and he said, "Oh, he said, I know you. You're a Howard Blake, aren't you? I met you in New York at a premiere. Correct, I am Howard Blake." He said, "Well, he said it's interesting to me. He said I I, I make cartoon films, and he said I've just made an eight minute um, what we call an animatic, a little sketch for a cartoon film called The Snowman." Mm -hmm. And would it be very out of order for me to, to ask you to look at it? Because I had a score written for it by somebody who shall remain nameless. And he said, I don't <laughs> think it really works. Would it be out of order for me to ask you to look at it? Oh, no, it wouldn't. I said, I'd like to, love to see it. So he showed me this eight minutes and it had, it had all, all this awful tinky-tonky music on it. I said, well, I don't, take, take the, just turn the music off and let, just run it for me again. And I, I said, I looked at it and I, and I saw this image of the, of the snowman and the boy. And I said, that is the most fabulous image, that, that great snowman in the sky with the boy yeah. smiling and big. And I said, I've, I've got a tune that I've had in my head for something like 11 years, which, <laughs> and I've always looking at a plate which is a sort of transcendent tune, which I, I think would work marvelously on this piece of film. So he said, I don't know what John said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I said, well, could I do a demo for you um, and 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 see what happens? And he said, all right, do a demo. So that, in a couple of days after that, I went into Abigen Studio and I recorded what was essentially the basis of the, of the score of the snowman. And I fitted it to this eight minute, uh, just the demo for, for what we hoped might be a cartoon, maybe only that long, but uh, it, anyway, I, I, I put that, it was just on piano. And then, and John said, um, when I'd done it, it, look, it looked great with piano on it. And John said, there, there's a company, curiously enough, right next to the studio called Channel 4, and it's opened. It opened today, <laughs> this is in 1981, October 81, look it up. And he said, and I was talking to Jeremy, I uh, not Jeremy, I was Jeremy Isaacs. Isaacs, yeah. he's running. And, and I, I'm going to take this demo in and show it to him. So I said, well, I, th I said, oh, before you do that, John, I said, I think you could develop that, that eight minutes, I think, into, into, a, into a television half hour. I think it would run for half an hour. And I think you could make a whole story without dialogue. It doesn't need dialogue. You could do it all with music. And it would be absolutely wonderful. So John said, don't be daft. He said, you've got to have dialogue. Of course you've got to have it. I said, well... I haven't got dialogue on the demo, have I? No, he said, you haven't, actually. <laughs> I said, well, show it to Jeremy Isaacs. And if if you decide to do this without dialogue, I will write this, let you have this music and we'll write the score. Otherwise, I will not let you have the music. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. So anyway, you went in. You have to be quite firm in this, in this film you know, entertainment business. So he went in. Yeah. He went next door. Spoke to Jeremy Isaacs. Ran this eight minute. And he said, "This fabulous." He said, "We'll make it. We'll make a, a, we'll we'll make a half hour television film with nothing but with Howard's with Howard's music yeah. and with with the TVC's animation and uh, with and Diane. We, there was a girl, Diane Jackson. Will be." the animation, the cartoon director. So it was happened simple as that. They said, we'll, we'll do it. 
So we set about. So we set about it, and uh, it 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 was it is still actually a revolutionary thing, and it's I think it's the the only film of its sort with no absolutely no dialogue and yeah. sustained totally by the music. And it, originally, it wasn't going to have a song in it. I I I just got the music only. Like that. Yeah. That's how it was. When, on the first, when we put it together with the animatic, that's the pencil drawn images with it's just piano. And curiously, um, I, I made a recording on, on piano of the whole thing and we put it to the first animatic of the whole film and it was delivered to my flat here in Kensington where I am now. Yeah. And I was going to, I was, I was on the phone and I was waiting, I thought I've got to put, I've got to play this on my, on my VHS, see what, see what it looks like, see what the film looks like. At this moment, two friends of mine actually arrived and they said, what are you up to? And I said, I'm just, I'm just going to, going to run this thing called a snowman, an animatic with just piano track. And they said, we'd love to see that. So, so we, the three of us sat down. And my friend, who was in in the business, he, he was actually he was a, a film producer himself. And when it when it got to the when it got to the flying scene with just piano, he said that would make a great song. You've got to. Yeah. I said, well, the boys the boys' lips aren't moving. How can I do that? Oh, he said, doesn't matter. If nobody will ever notice this, that his <laughs> lips aren't moving. I said, I suppose you're right. So the next day, the very next day, I went out into Hyde Park and I, I, I booked a deck chair and took a picnic and I sat down and I wrote the lyrics of We're Walking in the Air. Wow. <laughs> and I finished by four o'clock that next day and they've never changed since. So that's <laughs> how, and that's how this revolutionary film came into being. Yeah, that's incredible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the film is just synonymous with Christmas, I suppose. Whenever you hear that music, you know it's Christmas and it's on yeah. every Christmas Eve and it will be again this year. So you have essentially made the sound of a lot of people's Christmas Eve. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not really quite sure what it's got to do with Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But you're quite right. It has become synonymous with Christmas. I think it's just because it's it's so ice. It's it's, uh, there's wonderful snow and ice and the blue sky and it's like it's like a sort of the Christmas day to end all Christmas days, isn't it? You're flying through the sky. It's something everybody would love to be able to do. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was. It's been with me all, all. It's a long time now. It's pretty. It's actually exactly forty years now. Oh, I, yeah. I have to think about because started. Eight, it was eighty. It was actually October eighty one, mm. and it's now two thousand and twenty one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And a lot of people wrongly assume that Alan Jones sung Walking in the Air in the film just because he sung it a few years later. But it was actually Peter Otty that did it in the film, wasn't it? Well, well done. I'm really glad you, <laughs> you said that. And I'm glad you know that. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Otty has really ha- had the, the, the wrong end of this. Uh, had, a, had a bad time out of it, really, because... Yeah. It, it it was when Ali, Ali just had had the nouse to get it to EMI and get it made into a record. That's mm. and just actually to tell you about how that happened is quite amusing. I mean, this was yes. When was it? Yes, it was 1985. So it was four years after I've done the Snowman, and yeah. and the big time um, advertisers, Sarch, Sarchi, Morris Sarchi, actually rang me himself. Which was uh, Mr. Sarchi rang me, and he said, "I've, I've got six new." Uh, toy shops, uh, huge toy stores. I'm I'm opening in in London, and I want to use your music. Uh, that wonderful walking in there. I want to use it for that campaign 
to open my toy shop chain. Mm-hmm. Can can we use it? I said yes. And he said, can, can we can we can we have that wonderful boy Peter Orty singer? I said yes. I'll ring him right away. And he said, well, we need to do this actually fast. We need to do it this week as soon as you can do it as possible. Anyway, so I rang Peter Orty, and the voice said. Hello? <laughs> I said, can I speak to Peter Ortiz? This is Peter Ortiz speaking. <laughs> I said, don't tell me your voice is broken. <laughs> he said, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so his voice is broken. So, yeah. oh, I said, I'm, I, that's really, I'm so sorry to hear this because it's actually a rather wonderful job. Yeah. I can't now recommend you for because you no longer sing treble. So, and so I, I had to search around and I had seen on, on a BBC show earlier that week, I'd seen a boy singing in a concert from Cardiff. Yeah. And um, I, I said to Saatchi, I said, see if you can um, see if you can find out who that boy was who sang on BBC on uh, from Cardiff. And uh, came back, he said, his name's Alan Jones. I said, well, wow. book him, book him to come in tomorrow <laughs> to be <laughs> my Abbey Road and um, book an orchestra and uh, we'll do so couldn't have been the next day it was it was that week i think probably probably it was tuesday when i was asked and it was about friday of the week and anyway i i actually couldn't be there because i'd got another recording session going on so i, I actually delegated the conducting of of it to somebody else and ali jones came in and and made made a made a recording and I, this is quite and it wasn't going to be a record yeah. and i i had a very good connection with with uh, emi I, I, I was actually under contract with, with them for a while and i i rang i rang the head of of abbey road and i said you've got you've got a boy coming in he's singing a song of mine and he, i said it just might be worth doing a single actually if you've got him there because there'll be an orchestra and he, he and he's got a very good voice and it just might it's just an idea see see what you think so EMI actually did while they were recording the, the 30 second commercial they also did a quick recording of the three and a half minute song Walking In There which yeah. when released soared to the top 10 <laughs> went to number three in the hip rate and that's, wow. that's how that happened yeah and when Alan Jones sung it I think it was a few years ago he sung the song with himself as he was older and you did the arrangement for that didn't you yeah and actually i still use that in the in the stage show which is about to open in the western yeah if you didn't know that (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible now recently there was actually a sequel of the snowman but you didn't do the score were you ever asked to do it no you're you you something to do with a dog yeah yes what did you think of it? Um, I don't know. It was all right. But I guess the music was lacking, wasn't it? Because you'd think they would at least include Walking in the Air to kind of harp back a bit. Oh, well, you, you, you've, hit on, you've hit on a real raw nerve there. Mm. The people who made The Snowman actually did not like me becoming famous for having written the music for it. They wanted themselves to be famous for having made the film. Mm, that's <laughs> this weird. Is like the entertainment business for you. So they, yeah. they virtually stopped speaking to me when, when it went into the top ten. And they thought they actually decided that they would make a film with their wonderful animation and without my music and show that it wasn't had nothing to do with music. It had to do with the story and their animation. So they made Snowman and a Dog. I wasn't even invited to see it or anything about it. And it was a complete flop, as far as I know. Yeah, it's bad. Well, I think I think it deserved to be a complete flop. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because, you know, most of the time, the score composer gets fame and the filmmakers are all right with it, and rightly so. Um, I've, I've, I've come across this uh, en- envy of music envy, actually, throughout <laughs> my career. Um, you'd be quite surprised. Um, yeah. I've had complete scores ripped off large feature films because everybody was saying that is such a fantastic score. <laughs> I don't like it. 
You have to play yourself down, pretend you're not there. <laughs> Ooh, that is so bizarre. I, I've, I've got one of the. I've got one of those. No, oh, I got it here. If this was television, you could see Ag- Agatha, the film Agatha. Yeah. I did the terrific orchestral score. It's probably for me one of the best I've uh, I'd ever uh, done. Uh, but it, it and. People were raving about it before it even got into the cinema, but mm. the the uh, the star of it actually did not like the fact that everybody's raving about the score and they weren't raving about her. And mm. so she actually had it the whole score removed. She actually and to do that, she had she had to have the producer sacked. I won't say the names of these people. <laughs> he had got the producer sacked and that this producer was instructed to get rid of my score. So that mm. that's another example. And that's an even more drastic at least at least my score got onto the snowman. But yeah. they didn't even give me a chance. I would have loved to do the sequel yeah. of, of the snowman. But I was wasn't asked, and and they said it's not it's not to do with you. So it's difficult. It's a very difficult business, and you, you've got you you know what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to write a lousy score so that you don't offend the leading actor? <laughs> what yeah. are you supposed to do? Yeah, it's an odd one. Well, yeah. what are you getting up to at the moment? I guess you've got the stage show, but is there anything else that you're working on? Well, um, what what one thing that might might happen? I, I, I've written a story called um, Tin Tack the Cobbler. Ooh. It's and I actually originally wrote it for Dick Williams as as, as an idea for a full length animation film, and um, just recently it's been taken up. It is being taken up by a distinguished animation cartoon company, and it looks like it might turn into a full length cartoon film. Ooh. So that's rather exciting. Yeah, that's it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other th- other things, uh, uh, I've got another extraordinary uh, gig, which the head of Radio 3, Ooh. which is the intellectual branch of the BBC's music, yeah. <laughs> uh, he came, Jonathan Manners came to see me in August and he said, yeah. um, I want to do an arrangement of this whole Snowman film for nothing but singers. I said, hmm, what would that sound like? He said, well, that's what I'd like to find out. So um, I gave him permission to do that and didn't think much more about it. But the latest news actually as of yesterday is uh, that it's going to be run on BBC Four on Christmas Eve and on BBC Three on Christmas Day. And the narrator of it, uh, will be Stephen Fry. Oh, which is quite a big piece of news, actually. Yeah, which you can put out on your <laughs> yeah this radio show, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, cross promotion. Other radio stations do exist, and you can listen to Radio Four and Radio Three for this. Well, you don't have to, but like, <laughs> you're asking me what I'm doing. That's another thing I'm doing. So I'm, yeah. I'm waiting to see the finished score in order to correct it. I don't mean correct it. I mean, approve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, where are we able to keep up to date with you and just find out about you and stuff? Well, if you go to www.howardblake.com, yeah. you will be able to see everything that I'm doing and everything I've ever written. And you can see there's an autobiography and there's a complete list of works. And at the top of the first page, as you open it, you'll see news, which, mm. which has exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for joining us here this afternoon. It's been great having you on the show. Well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope I haven't upset anybody. If I have, <laughs> please forgive me. <laughs> The throbbing pulse of sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.